everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Jeff. I said co-host really quick. It's co-host, not co-host. There, you heard him right there. Early. Uh, a little treat for everybody. It's my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. The co-host is clear, my friend. Yes. Oh, wow. It's dad joke week, apparently. It, oh, it's always dad joke week. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I thought that was so odd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. This is show 226. They said we'd never get past 224. Well, Nope. Who's laughing now, Mom? That's right. We've been aiming for that 224 for a long time. Yep, we finally got there. But this is 226. If uh, you've listened to any of the previous 225 shows, you know that we start out with BP. So let's get right into it. Mark, I got some things to talk about this week. Yeah. Uh, First of all, the Angels, they're bad. Yeah. I feel bad for them because trade deadline comes along. Otani's going to be a free agent after this year. You got Mike Trout signed forever, but cannot stay healthy the angels went all in at the trade deadline they're like hey let's show otani we mean business we want to compete we want to compete this year even and they have just if it wasn't for the rangers they would have been like the worst team since the deadline yeah there that's an unfortunate circumstance you know you got arguably the best player in the game uh, on a two, team the, the two best players right. the team. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, interesting. I'll tell you my thoughts on it here once I once I tell you what it's about. So first of all, the Angels are bringing back some familiar names that are going to be wearing uniform in the dugout. Tim Salmon and Tony Katane's ex Chuck Finley are wow. going to be part of the Angels staff. They are going to be quote unquote advisors. For the foreseeable future is what I read. They'll be in uniform in dugout as an extra set of eyes and ears, which there is a limit to how many people you can have in the dugout. So I'm not sure unless like Tim Salmon's going to be the hitting coach and Chuck right. Finley's going to be the, the pitching coach. I don't know how that's going to work, but it to me, it seems kind of a ploy to placate fans for the nosedive. And as I said, the impending departure of Otani to kind of bring back some fan favorites from the past to kind of uh, distract. Here's a shiny object. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Also, did you see this? That the Angels are open to trading Mike Trout now, I if he agrees. Yeah. This just wow. seems like a PR stunt. A team that wouldn't trade Otani, who they don't have signed at the deadline, but they'll trade Mike Trout if he wants out. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm an A's fan, so... My situation is much more of a yard sale than this one, but still, it's not looking good. Also, if they're in uniform, Randall Grychek, I can never say his name, is wearing Tim Salmon's number. So, Uh-oh. could be awkward or could be a case of beer or, uh, you know, golf clubs. $42,000. How much? Did, Ricky paid $25,000, was not it? I think for that's right. Turner yeah. Ward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Mitch Williams paid John Crock a case of beer. Yeah, kind of a ripoff. Oh, no, I'm sure Kruk thought it was value. <laughs> That's true. So I came across a name that made me laugh. Nothing to nothing to do with baseball, though. It came up on an ancillary search I was doing while I was researching a story. And I have to make mention of him because apparently I am still 12 years old. But I came across a guy named Bum Farto. <laughs> nice. 
It's kind of like Cornholio, except for this was a real person. He was the fire chief in Key West, Florida in the 70s. 1970s, by the way, and was a bit of a gangster, he thought, at least. He sold cocaine out of the city's firehouse, and while awaiting trial on drug trafficking charges, he disappeared off the face of the earth, never to be heard from again. Some say he was whacked because he was, you know, gangster. Others say he escaped to Central America. The late Jimmy Buffett apparently mentioned him in a song titled Landfall. Uh, well, I am definitely not a parrot head, but I think uh, Jimmy Buffett might be the artist best served by name checking Bum Farto in a song. Except for maybe it's, Weird Al. Yeah, well, I tell you what, man, that's, um, you're finding some interesting stuff in your side searches there, buddy. Yeah, Bum Farto. That is going to make <laughs> me laugh every time I see that name. <laughs> All right, let's get back to some baseball stuff, though. Uh, no hitter in the NPB last week. Nice. Yoshi Yamamoto of the Oryx Buffaloes threw a no hitter last week. He struck out eight, walked one, and extended his scoreless inning streak to 42 innings. Wow. He is now 14 and five with a 1.26 ERA. This was his second no hitter of the year. Wow. Yeah. This kid is 25 years old, so he doesn't have enough service time to be a free agent. But after this season, he is expected to be posted to the major leagues by Oryx, where, you know, teams can bid on him to just try and sign him. Right. That's uh, that's big news. But how many zeros do you think he added to his paycheck here? Yeah, well, you throw two no hitters in one season. uh, That'll definitely get you some attention. Yeah. Well, get this. While he did this, he throwing his second no-hitter of the season just so happened to be several MLB front office people from various teams were at his game watching him. Oh, my gosh. I'm guessing drooling a little bit, too. Wow. He is going to, uh, he's going to command, well, the the, the Buffaloes are going to command a lot of money. Well, they won't command it. The teams are going to be offering them, we will pay you this much money just to be able to talk to him about what money we're going to give him. So yes. there's going to be a lot of money exchanged. Is all I I'm remember saying. when uh, Ichiro got put up mm-hmm. for bids and the Mariners won the bidding and everybody went, God, why'd they bid so much on him? That was crazy. It turned out okay. Yeah, I think I think they did. Uh, they did okay there. So we could see another one of those going now. You never know. Since then, though, the, uh, the prices to uh, make your attempt at signing them have gone up quite a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean... Millions and millions of dollars, and that's not even. Then you've got to talk with the player and agree right. on how many millions of dollars you're going to pay them. So right. it's a lot of money. Uh, let's see uh, the movie Little Big League. What, what are your thoughts on on Little Big League? Little Big League was never one of my favorites, but it's you know it's a baseball movie. It's worth watching. Yeah, I mean it had uh, Timothy Busfield as yes. a professional baseball player. He seemed to me like the Wish dot com Bill Dorn. <laughs> from major league like he was never believable but if you don't know the story it's about this 12 uh, year old in minnesota that all of a sudden is named manager of the twins you know it's based on a true story i think it's happened before i'm sure yeah, i'm not sure but uh, the the actress that played the mother in that ashley crow is actually the mom of the cubs number one overall prospect pete crow armstrong Oh, really? First of all, I've seen Pete Crow Armstrong play a couple of minor league games, not in person, but just I've seen some all-star games and just looking, you know, when I'm skipping through games on MLB 
MILB TV. I come across him and I will usually watch him because he has done nothing but impress. So I think that's pretty cool. The, the, the tie there, they're uh, calling him up. I think they called him up yesterday when we recorded this. Now, 30 years later, she is officially the mother of somebody in the major league. That's really bizarre. I guess she got, she was married to another actor on As the World Turns. They divorced. Then she married somebody from the show Heroes, who played the role of Ted Sprague, not to be confused with uh, former Major League third baseman Ed Sprague. Right. Different people. Different. Yeah. Not uh, not the same people. So Uh, let's see. Mark, this show is debuting on September 13th. I got a lot to talk about here about debuts. <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah, September 13th would seem like a good debut yeah. date. Oh, we got the September call-ups, you know, before the, the the current rule. So as we explained last week, you know, it used to be 40 guys you could have sitting in that dugout. That's when you could slip former players like Chuck Finley or Tim Salmon in there and maybe nobody notices. I got a couple of these that uh, are very interesting. And then one that uh, I'm going to kind of make a little bit longer. And that's going to kind of be the main segment today because I've got so many debuts here I want to talk about. It's going to really, that's going to be the episode, debuts. Just it's Sweet. the debut of the debut episode. But let's start off today, September 13th, 1886. This is a guy we've talked about before, not in depth, but uh, making his debut today, Icebox Chamberlain. Chamberlain, <laughs> not Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Icebox. Icebox. Yeah. Uh, real name Elton, but Icebox is a little bit cooler, I think. Uh, let's oh, see. definitely. Made his debut in 1886 during a game that year against the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, well, first of all, Icebox is a pitcher. Let, let me let me give you some facts here about Icebox. First of all, he played for 10 years in the big leagues. He played uh, for uh, the Louisville Colonels, our favorite team. He was a teammate with uh, Pete Browning. That took me a minute to remember his name. Uh, also played for the uh, St. Louis Browns. I've got to go through here because all these team names are different than they are now, except for, of course, the Cincinnati Reds. He did play for the Cleveland Spiders, Columbus Solons. One of my favorite teams, along with the uh, Philadelphia Athletics. So he's a pitcher, went 157 and 120, had a 3.57 ERA over those 10 years. So this rookie season, he's playing against the Baltimore Orioles, and his teammates are complaining that the Orioles pitcher Matt Kilroy was leaving the pitcher's box when he threw the ball, something that was not allowed at the time. Hmm. They tell the umpire about this. He's like, I could care less. He did nothing about it. He's like, I got to. Yeah, I just want to go get a sandwich. So Chamberlain ran forward out of the box when he let go of his pitches as kind of, if you're going to let him do it, I'm going to do it. And this quote scared the Baltimore batters out of their wits, end quote. After that, Kilroy stayed in the box the rest of the game. Although he was described as a right-handed pitcher, Chamberlain pitched the last two innings of a game in 1888 with his left hand just because he could, I guess. The article describing this feat said he was actually the third pitcher to do this in a game. Larry Cochran and Tony Mullaney, if you're interested, were the first two. I think I had Tony Mullaney on my uh, fantasy team one year, back in the day. Yeah, I was going to guess those guys. He was the last one to do it until Greg Harris did it in 1995, 107 years later. Wow. He rarely threw left-handed, but he used his dexterity to deceive base runners. So he didn't wear a glove, assuming most people didn't wear a glove at this time. So he could use either hand to throw to a base. 
So he's chilling there, you know, in the pitcher's box, and runners could never tell which hand he was going to throw to the base with. So this led to a lot of pickoffs, and I'm guessing a lot of shorter leads by base runners. Definitely. You're probably asking, Jeff, how did he get the nickname Icebox? Yeah, Jeff, I was actually wondering how he got the nickname Icebox. Do you happen to know? Funny you should ask, Mark, because I've got some explanations here that I found. Uh, He was once a teammate of Charles Comiskey, who said this about Icebox. Quote, Chamberlain is the coolest pitcher in the profession. The captain is authority for the statement that whenever Chamberlain perspires, his shirt freezes to his skin and he has to take a warm bath before he can get it off, end quote. (laughs) Now, there is part of that sentence I do not understand. The captain is authority for the statement. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means either. Kind of lost me there, but it's kind of cool. He's like Mr. Freeze. Yes. Very interesting note about a game that happened in 1892. He was pitching in this game and the umpire actually called the game because of brightness. <laughs> now, you mean you mean the sun, not intellect. Right? Yes, exactly. Obviously, there were no lights back in this day, so you know, no nighttime games, but games would obviously be called because of darkness when the sun would set quite often. But this game was called because the umpire thought it was too bright. It was a scoreless game. They were already in extra innings, and the umpires thought that the batters just couldn't see the ball because of the sun shining, I guess. And and he called it. As far as I can tell, the only game ever called because of brightness. That's bizarre. 1893, Chamberlain facing the Boston Bean Eaters, and Boston's Bobby Lowe became the first big leaguer to hit four home runs in one game. All of nice. them off of Icebox. Wow. Thusly, no icebox. Yeah, thusly making Icebox the first pitcher in baseball history to give up four home runs to the same player in a single game. Wow. Now, it should be noted that this game was being played at Conga Street Grounds in Boston as the South End Grounds, the Bean Eaters home field at that point, was being rebuilt after it had been burnt down, which you can learn all about if you go back and listen to our episode on Fenway Park to hear all about that. Yes. But it should be noted that at the Congress Street grounds, the left field wall was only 250 feet away from home plate. So maybe put an asterisk by that four home run game (laughs) for for good old Bobby. After retiring from baseball, Icebox announced that he was going to become a boxer. There is no actual mention of him ever fighting anywhere. But let's just imagine, if you will, if he did and he was good at it, he could knock a guy out and stand over him and just, you know, go, you've been iced. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that was like on the list, top of the list. I'm sure that's something that would happen in the late 1800s, too. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Also making his debut today in 1899, Highball Wilson. I told highball. I told you before we started recording that I had some good old timey names for you today. Yes, definitely. So highball uh, debuted in eighteen ninety nine. Strangely enough, uh, low ball pitcher. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if he was or not. I just, oh, well, thanks. It, you said it was dad joke day, so uh, it is dad joke day. Also, uh, surprisingly enough, highball not his given first name. It's actually Howard Paul Wilson. Sometimes in some articles, strangely enough, uh, referred to as Abe. <laughs> is Abe a, like a, a, a nickname for Howard or Paul that I am unaware of? I don't know. But, I don't think uh, so, but hey, who knows? Well, Abe, 
a.k.a. Highball uh, Wilson, was described at times as having a, quote, glass arm and bad knees, end quote. Don't think that's a good combination when you're an athlete. No, no, I don't think so. Also, uh, Highball, uh, Highball, remember High Pants? Uh, what's his name? High Pants? High Pockets. High, high Pockets. Yeah, Hall of Famer, High Pockets, because he was tall. So yes. I don't understand the uh, Highball Wilson uh, nickname, but... Whatever. He debuted, get this, with the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. We've talked about them before. We have. We sure have a few times. They were not good. Only pitched one game that year and, believe it or not, lost. I know that's a (laughs) shocker. Uh, His first win in the big leagues, however, came when he was playing for the Philadelphia A's, and he beat the Red Sox, not the Bean Eaters, but the Red Sox at that point, hung an L on Cy Young, which is pretty impressive. Following the 1903 season, Highball headed back to Philadelphia for the offseason with about $1,000 cash in his pocket. How do we know that? Don't know. But apparently somebody knew about it, according to this article. Highball was reported missing. He didn't arrive in Philadelphia, and in fact, he was missing for two weeks. His friends and family feared that he had been robbed and murdered. That was even reported in newspapers. He had been robbed and murdered. Wow. Because they couldn't find him. That's the end of the story. Uh, they they never print anything more about when he was found. He ended up <laughs> pitching the next, uh, he ended up being the pitching coach the next year at the University of Pennsylvania. So okay. Apparently, well, he might have been robbed, but he wasn't murdered, but we don't know. Nothing is ever. Right. He may have been murdered and no one told him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> more likely, he might have been robbed or maybe he just found something to do with that thousand dollars it took him two weeks i don't know him being like i said missing uh, and or murdered was never again reported in the paper uh, he just showed up and nobody cared enough to write anything more i guess they had other things to do. <laughs> okay well the story was over at that point yeah so highball pitched for four years uh, overall record of 14 and 26 with a 3.29 era Two of those 14 wins, though, were against Cy Young. So that first one, and then he faced him again, and what the heck. Beat him again. Wow. Well, what's Cy Young? Lost 313 games? Yeah. Well, there's two of them. <laughs> he stinks yes, if you lose that many. Good point. <laughs> and two of them are to Highball Wilson. But yeah. Highball, apparently, though, we would have liked him, Mark. He was a quick worker. Oh, he's definitely my kind of player. Yeah. The first win against Cy Young, it was a 10-inning game. Took an hour and 40 minutes. What? Yeah. But his second win against Cy Young, an hour and seven minutes. What are these guys just hacking away up there? Well, remember, we did that one story about that game that took like 45 minutes. Yes. And the pitcher would already be throwing the first pitch of the next inning by the time the outfielders were still heading towards the dugout. Right. So, I don't Maybe it was getaway day. I don't know. Boy, I guess. All right. uh, Also making his debut today... In 1904, we're getting back on track with the Gabby mentions. Uh, This is the second one in the last two episodes. Gabby Street made his debut today. Okay. So Gabby Street, old Sarge, was a pretty good catcher, but an awful hitter. Lifetime average of 208 with a 273 on base for his career. Not not great with the the (laughs) stick. He played for eight years. And uh, yeah, eight years... He had, uh, let's see, 504 games, uh, 1,501 at-bats, 312 hits. Not, mm. not not great. No power. Once took a 19-year break in between games in the big leagues, by the way. 
What? <laughs> he returned in 1931 at the age of 48 for a single game at the end of the season, where, as a catcher, he actually threw a runner out trying to steal second. Wow. Yeah. Now, I have my suspicions, but I'm guessing that that might have been kind of a courtesy out. Uh, he sure. was replaced after one at bat that he went hitless. But, you know, it's it's like the, the rumor that Ripken got grooved to fastball in that all-star game in Seattle right. to hit a home run. That kind of thing. Famously, we've talked about this many times, caught a ball dropped from the top of the Washington Monument after missing it the first 12 times and not dying, but he caught it on the 13th. Also talked about that. We've talked about Gabby Street a lot. Uh, Did radio in St. Louis after retiring, of course, working with a then young Harry Carey. Everything I have listed here, we have talked about because we've talked about Gabby Street so much. Uh, Mr. Burns wanted Street behind the plate for his nuclear power plant softball team before uh, being told by Smithers that he had, in fact, passed away 40 years earlier. (laughs) He had to settle for Mike Sosha. Mike Sosha and Gabby Street. They're pretty similar. Six one way, half dozen the other. And uh, in what this sounds like fan fiction to me. But there is a book entitled uh, Catching the Moon, the story of a young girl's baseball dream written written by Crystal Hubbard, which, again, this this seems like fan fiction 101. But in this story, Gabby Street runs a baseball camp, (laughs) which sounds like it might be an erotic fan fiction. But uh, the main character is denied access to camp because she's a girl. But when she proves herself Uh, She's allowed to attend with the caveat being that she has to bring her own glove and cleats, what she can't afford her cleats. So Gabby buys a pair for her. This is based on a true story about how Tony Stone got her first pair of baseball cleats, which we've talked about Tony Stone as well. We have. Who who was the author of that piece? Crystal Hubbard. Did she happen to be an old mother? I was, I, you know, I thought about that. Or is this like Glenn Hubbard's sister? Oh, maybe? sure. Well, you know, I was so bad for the dog in that rhyme. I didn't, I, you know, poor dog. Wow. We are on one <laughs> today. <laughs> I, I forgot to take my ADHD meds. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's see. We got one more debut before we get to the big debut. So also making his debut today, 1939, a 19-year-old early win. Ooh, that's just a great name, though, to early win. He debuted with the Washington Nationals, not the Senators. I don't want any notes saying I got that wrong. 1939, it was the Washington Nationals. Despite his name, he did not win uh, his one Cy Young early in his career. He was 39 years old when he won it in 1959. He was more of late win at that that, point. He was 20 years in the big leagues. He debuted at 19, and he won the Cy in his when he was 39. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, to, to be pitching that long, especially then, because, you know, he pitched a lot. You think he was thinking when he was 19, man, I hope within the next 20 years I can win myself a Cy Young Award. Well, he might have faced Cy Young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, let's see. That year that he won it in 1959, led the league in wins with a 22-10 and 10 mark, a 3.17 ERA, and a league-leading 255 and two-thirds innings pitched at 39 years old. Wow. wow. Finished, he finished his career with 300 wins exactly. 
As a youth, get this, no farm accidents, but uh, one summer he worked lifting 500 pound bales of cotton for 10 cents an hour. Oh, jeez. I mean, you've got to put it in perspective. There was a time when people were doing that for no cents an hour. So, uh, but true, still, true. I mean, that's got to build up some practical strength as a, as a youth there. He missed the 1945 Major League season serving in the military. But uh, he continued to play baseball, pitching for the Pacific Army's Manila Dodgers, which are my favorite uh, Filipino uh, baseball team. Definitely. He was a good hitter, though, too, uh, despite being a great pitcher. 90 pinch hit appearances as a pitcher. Wow. Including a pinch hit grand slam. No kidding. That's impressive. Yeah. He uh, announced games after retiring, just like Gabby Street, huh? And uh, he would have fit right in with some of today's boomer announcers. This is how he described his, what uh, he called an embarrassing 300th and final win in the big leagues. He said, quote, if I had pitched a good game and gone nine innings, that would have been something. But that's not the way it was, end quote. (laughs) He was lifted after he was lifted after uh, only five innings. He had a one run lead. A couple of teams had signed him to one-game contracts because they wanted to cash in on, hey, come watch this guy get his 300th win. Oh, man. Okay, I I could see that. Yeah, Cleveland, though, finally gave him a season-long contract. He came in. uh, He went 1-2 and at the age of 43. He pitched in 20 games. He went 1-2 and with a 2.28 ERA. Wow. 55 and a third innings pitched, 29 strikeouts. And he got that uh, he got that 300th victory finally. In 1962, when Wynn was with the White Sox, he was throwing batting practice, and his teammate Joe Cunningham hit a line drive that just missed Wynn by inches. Wynn responded by throwing three straight pitches under his chin. <laughs> That's some good aim. Yeah. He, he missed his chin, but got it under. Yeah. Whenever one of his teammates was knocked down by an opposing pitcher, Wynn would retaliate by knocking down two of the opposing pitcher's teammates. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's where the Untouchables got that line, you know, brought a brought a knife to a gunfight kind of thing. <laughs> or no, you send one of the they send one of yours to the hospital, you send two of theirs to the morgue. That's, that's right. I think that's where they got that from. Let's see. Uh, 1972, he was elected to the Hall of Fame. He was a nine-time All-Star. And uh, this is a great quote from him. He has a lot of great quotes. He was a real hard-nosed guy. This is uh, one quote. I think we've probably talked about this before. He said, quote, I'd knock down my old grandmother if she dug in on me in the box. (laughs) Once when Wynn was with Cleveland, he actually threw a pitch at his own 15-year-old son, Joe. So, again... Win throwing pregame batting practice, and his son is going to get around in the cage. So Joe comes in there and hits two long drives in a row. Ushers in the in the stands watching this began to clap for his son. You know, hey, good job, kid. Moments later, Joe was laying flat on his back in the batting cage. His father had just knocked him down with a pitch. <laughs> That's hilarious. Early said, quote, he was leaning in on me, and I had to show him who was boss. And <laughs> well, you know, that's that's solid parenting, in my opinion, but I don't have any kids. So what do I know? Yeah, I know. That's kind of I kind of feel like that's what I would do if I had kids. Uh, and could, well, yeah, you got to learn. And in any way could control where my pitches were going. Also, after retiring, uh, operated the early wind steakhouse and bowling lanes in Florida in the 60s. Oh, beautiful. 
I, is, are steakhouses and bowling alleys, are they attached often? I don't. Man, I, maybe it was a thing back then. Uh, early wins laundromat and. Discount auto parts. Discount auto parts. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, those are those are. 90% of the debuts today. Uh, this is going to kind of be our main segment. So we're blurring the lines here. We're, this is this is experimental theater, if you will. Also making his debut, because this one's a little bit longer. I got some audio to go with this. Making his debut in 1976 today, a young catcher for Atlanta, Dale Murphy, made his debut. Oh, wow. Murph, I mean, these numbers are incredible. We've talked a lot about him because we've had several guests on who are big Dale Murphy fans. Should probably be in the Hall of Fame, but is not. A two-time league MVP, back-to-back, mind you. Seven-time wow. All-Star, five-time Gold Glover, four-time Silver Slugger. Overall, 18 years in the big leagues. Played mostly for Atlanta, 15 years, and then three years with the Phillies, and then part of their inaugural season for the Colorado Rockies. I mentioned the MVPs back-to-back in 1982 and 1983. One, uh, those five gold gloves were consecutive, by the way, 1982 through 1986. In 1983, he hit 36 home runs and swiped 30 bases to become only the fourth National League player to join the 30-30 club. I just don't think of stolen bases when I think of Dale Murphy, but 161 overall in his career. Wow. Yeah. That, that year that he stole 30, he, he was only caught four times. Four. Man, that's incredible. That's impressive. It's like he set out to do it and did it. Yeah, and he came up as a catcher. I mean, he was he was playing outfield yeah. at this point, but he came up as a catcher. So yeah, amazing, pretty uh, pretty impressive. Hit three hundred and eight home runs between nineteen eighty and nineteen eighty nine, behind only Mike Schmidt for most home runs during that time frame. Wow. And Schmidt had three hundred and thirteen, so five more behind, directly behind Dale Murphy, Eddie Murray. So he sandwiched, sandwiched, he sandwiched between two Hall of Famers right there. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories, uh, and this is gonna, this is what's gonna take a little bit longer here. Dale Murphy, I, I mentioned, played for Atlanta for 15 years out of his career. You know, when you think of Dale Murphy, that's what you think of, right? You think of those cool, brave pullover uniforms with that odd symbol on the on the sleeve and TBS and, and all this yeah. stuff. 15 of his 18-year career were spent there in Atlanta. But during the pennant run in 1990, the Braves sent their aging star to the Phillies, along with Tommy Green, for Jim Thatcher, Jeff Parrott, and Victor Robles. That's hmm. kind of embarrassing, uh, if you ask me. But off to Philly he goes nonetheless. The next season, the Phillies come to Fulton County Stadium, and a large crowd welcomes back Dale. They hold Dale Murphy Appreciation Night. And on a visiting, you know, in a visiting ballpark, they have this for him. They have a special video presentation that they show before the game. His family is on the field with him. The crowd is cheering him on. Good vibes all around. Then we get to the bottom of the sixth inning. Atlanta is up six to nothing. And Otis Nixon comes off the bench as a pinch runner and gets thrown out trying to steal up six runs. So <laughs> if you open the book of unwritten rules, you won't find anything there, of course, because the book would be empty. They're but written, if, if you know the unwritten rules from the time, a six run lead then was considered a do not steal zone. 
too big. You'll never come back from six runs down. Yep. Today, a little bit different, but uh, so now the Phillies are mad. And when Otis Dixon comes up to the plate in the eighth inning, reliever Wally Ritchie plunks Otis. Possibly hyped up on coke, Otis charges the mound, delivers a flying leg kick of which Chan Ho Park would be very jealous of. <laughs> actually ripped Richie's jersey right in the stomach. Like he he actually like connected with it. Uh, Nixon then lands on top of him and starts wailing on his dome like Nolan Ryan given Robin Ventura and, you know, Nuggies. Bench is empty, yard sale, big brawl, suspensions. I mean, it was it was a as far as brawls go, it, it wasn't, you know, Atlanta, San Diego, but it was very big. Yeah, I'm with the Phillies, and we're playing. I My last cup, I left the Braves after about 12, 13 years with the Braves, I went to the Phillies. And we went back to Atlanta, and we're playing the Phillies. And a guy for the Braves is stealing bases. You know that unwritten rule we talked about when the team's up, you stop stealing all that stuff? Well, a guy named Otis Nixon is stealing a lot of bases, and... And our manager for the Phillies, Jim Fergosi, gets really mad. He goes, okay, next time Otis Nixon comes up, we're hitting him. So everybody's like, okay, whatever. And so kid comes out of the bullpen named Wally Ritchie, young left-hander, and he throws the ball at Otis Nixon because we're mad at Otis Nixon. Otis Nixon comes out to the mound, and he jumps up, and he karate kicks him. And he tears a hole in his jersey with his spikes and, and cuts him with his spike. But we had a big fight and everything. So two weeks later, the Phillies host Atlanta because that was when the schedule, you know, you actually played people more than twice, even in your division. Uh, The Phillies are hosting Atlanta. And if we know anything, we know that baseball players do not forget past transgressions and they always demand retribution. Well, you know what the fans here are roaring about. They remember Otis Nixon charging the mound, the incident with Wally Ritchie. pitch was up and in. That got a roar of the crowd. I'm sure there was a little message there. But somewhere in all of this that's going on, you have to work a game in. One ball, no strikes to count on Otis. His first at bat today. Looks like he's coming back in there, too. Look out. Otis Nixon. Said something out to Roger McDowell. McDowell has been thrown out of the game. That's the way to handle it. And I hope Otis is, maintains control here. Obviously, the temptation is to run out and do what he did in Atlanta. But I think justice is being served now. And he All right, was- you think this is over after that? You think baseball is that easy? Sure. Of course, it is not in no way. And so I'm running off the field. Remember, I was with the Braves the year before, and I'm running off the field, and the shortstop's yelling at me because sometimes they get the next hitter up, and shortstop's going, Murph, we're going to get you. You're you're the next hitter. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So Bobby Cox, he of a short fuse and the very old school mentality, tells starter Tom Glavin, who at this point, mind you, has thrown eight innings, given up only four hits, two runs, both of which were unearned, and has struck out 12. <laughs> he still tells him, hey, go hit the first batter in the ninth. <laughs> so Glavin already knows who the first batter is. He already knows who's leading off the bottom of the ninth. And that's uh, that's Dale Murphy. 
<laughs> so the score at this point is 9-2. Atlanta on top. Three outs left to go. Glavin is one of your top starters. He's aiming for a complete game, and you want him to go out there and hit a guy, possibly start another brawl, and for sure get suspended. Maybe there's a good reason the unwritten rules are unwritten, I'm thinking, because if yeah. the rules aren't so well thought out, so you know that you don't want to write them down. Maybe they're not the best rules. So, anyways, the first batter, Dale Murphy, steps into the box. Murph knows what's coming up, uh, but you know he's a friend to every single person on that Atlanta bench, yeah. <laughs> including really good friends with Tom Glavin. I mean, Murph was one of the li- most liked players across the league, and just a great guy. Yeah, he was. He was known. I mean, just talking from from memory, he was known just as the nicest guy. Supposedly, Tom Glavin asked Bobby if, "Hey, can I hit the second guy?" But no, <laughs> Bobby is an old school guy, and you're gonna you're gonna go an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So what happens next are four of the most half-hearted attempts at hitting a batter ever thrown. Atlanta announcer Pete Van Weeren was actually doubtful that it was even going to happen. Murphy, a strikeout victim once in this game. Also has driven in a run with an infield hit. Lavin has gotten everybody in the lineup once except Charlie Hayes. Well, now the fans think Lavin was throwing at Dale Murphy. That would never happen, folks. Or would it? Up and in again, 3-0. You think Tom Glavin's trying to get some response from his Philadelphia team? He's been thrown out. He was. He's been thrown out, and Bobby Cox is gone, too. Pete even says, uh, he says he thinks a couple of those were off-speed that Glavin threw at Murphy. So, you know, just totally (laughs) not into this. They were so slow, Dale had enough time to move out of the way, adjust his cup, undo, redo his batting gloves, answer some fan mail even before he got, uh, the ball got to catcher Greg Ellison on these these pitches. And I thought, there's no way they're going to throw at me. I was just there 13 years. (laughs) So I come up the plate and in the Braves dugout, uh, Tom Glavin, Bobby Cox said, okay, they hit Otis. We're hitting the first player up next inning. And Tom Glavin goes up to Bobby Cox. He goes, Bobby, it's Murph. <laughs> he goes, I don't care who it is. We're hitting him. <laughs> so, so I get up there. I'm, I'm at the plate, and, and Tom Glavin's on the mound, and he doesn't even look at the catcher. He just goes into his windup. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck is going on? So he throws it. He misses me. Same thing. Next pitch, he doesn't even look. He goes up, throws, throws another one at me, threw three, three at me. He missed me. After the fourth one, Murph takes his uh, takes his walk, and Glavin is immediately ejected. Immediately, just walks off the mound toward the dugout with his head down. You can tell that he is just embarrassed that he had to do that. It did, though, send the message that hey, there are consequences, regardless of who's up there. If you keep throwing at us, we're going to throw at you. Uh, it. Probably, you know, if it would have been anybody but Murph, very different outcome in this situation. Right. Uh, I I think it would have just continued to escalate because if a brawl breaks out, though, somebody, you know, could get hurt. Mike Morris, his career ended because of the injury he sustained during a brawl. Remember, Atlanta went on to the World Series this season. So what if that batter charges Glavin and he gets hurt? There you lose one of the top starters, not just in your team, but in the league, just a very interesting and and unique story of this great guy probably should be in the hall of fame and uh, really an Atlanta legend. 
and uh, he's getting thrown at by one of his good friends and uh, former team, which is sad. Yes, that's crazy. Yeah, so there you go. There are our debuts for this week. Uh, this is generally when we end up uh, end our regular segment, but uh, like I said, a little, little, little bit different, a little bit of performance theater this week. Lots of debuts. Yeah. Lots. Lots of September. Well, there were a lot of good names, too, that I left out. Um, oh. You know, names that we would love to talk about, but I wanted to hit these. You know, you got Icebox, you got Highball, and you got Dale Murphy and Early Win, and of course, Gabby. So with that, though, Mark, we're going to go directly from debuts into the final segment of the show. Uh, it's, jeez, uh, what is it called? I don't remember. Uh, something to do with wax. Yes, uh, it is wax time. Wax Museum? Yep. Uh, it is time for uh, Wax Museum Heroes. Here we go. Wax back hero! Gotta pull the wax back hero! All right, Mark, things are getting interesting. Uh, I had a big win last week, even with yes. uh, you pulling Nolan Ryan. Yeah, you, you absolutely just destroyed uh, any hope I had yeah. last week of, of coming back. It was it was really difficult to get my head together after that. You kind of left the field like Tom Glavin did after those four pitches to Dale. I Mark. did. I yeah. wandered out of the studio going, oh, man. Just scratching your head. Couldn't look anybody in the eye. Just, no. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, right now, if we look at the scoreboard, I am leading 11 to 8. Nine more wins, and I wrap up my first ever win and break your four-season-long winning streak. So yes, it's getting uh, it's getting interesting. Uh, but if you're new here, this is what we do. This is called Wax Packs Heroes. We're gonna open up we're gonna open up a couple of packs of baseball cards from the past. No wax today. These are actually from the year 2000. Some 2000 tops. Still gonna play regardless. What we're gonna do? We're gonna open the pack. We're gonna take the Baseball Reference War of the player and we're going to total that up whoever has the highest total at the end is going to get the w a couple of extra things that can change your score though uh, on the card if the player has anything on their face like glasses mustache flip down sunglasses eye black uh, if they're really good sideburns like brady anderson uh, all those you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war if they've got a grade a mustache we're talking 80 grade mustache you could earn two-tenths of a bonus point for that because that's pretty cool. If they're wearing real stirrups where we can see sanitary socks, that's also an extra tenth of a point. But two-in-ones, which we might get a lot of. Uh, 2,000, there were a lot of two-in-ones. We'll see what we get here. Uh, that's minus a tenth of a point. If the uh, person on the card won any awards that year, like Rookie of the Year, Cy Young MVP was an all-star or won a gold glove, half a point of war for each. If there's a Hall of Famer on the card, whether they are in focus or not, that's, uh, that's a whole extra point. If Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan shows up in either pack, I don't think Nolan's going to show up in these, but... Nolan's not going to make it for this one. No, if Ricky shows up, regardless of whose pack, I get five points. Any pop culture references that we can find easily, you're going to get a half a point of war for that, unless they appeared on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Simpsons, or Seinfeld, then you get a whole extra bonus. Full point of war. If they appeared in the Mitchell Report or were suspended for PEDs at any point, that is a minus half a point. And Mark, we're each going to both pick a team. My team shows up in either pack, I get a half a point. Your team shows up in either pack, you get a half a point. Who are you going to go with? I'm going to go with the Padres. Padres. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go with, since we talked about Dale Murphy a lot, I'm going to go with the Rockies. 
Okay. All right. So these, uh, this is going to be a little abbreviated here. There are only eight cards in these packs. They were really chintzy in 2000, but I've got one in my left hand and one in my right hand. Which one would you like, Mark? I'm going right. Right. All right. I'm going to have you go first because I like to be the home team uh, so I can walk you off. All right. Uh, some high gloss here. You are starting out with a highlight card. It is pitcher for the Cardinals, Jose Jimenez. Jose Jimenez. Yeah. Now, is this the Jose Jimenez that pitched a no-hitter for the Rockies? I'm not sure there's been another Jose Jimenez. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, it was with the Cardinals, but, oh, he pitched it against the Diamondbacks and against Randy Johnson. Wow. You kind of sometimes have to throw a no-hitter to beat Randy Johnson. But I guess so, yeah. As a rookie in 99, yeah, one to nothing win, no-hitter against the Diamondbacks. Wow. But then he went on to become a uh, Colorado Rocky later, but that doesn't help me. And uh, also was banned from the Pan American Games in 2007 because of a banned substance. Oops. I don't think we will, uh, I don't think we'll, we'll count that as your, you know, he was banned from the Pan American Games, not the, not yes. Major League Baseball. But Jose Jimenez, let's see, seven years in baseball, four in Colorado, two in St. Louis, one with Cleveland. In the year 2000, he went five and two out of the bullpen for Colorado with a 3.18 ERA, uh, 70 innings pitched, 63 hits, 44 strikeouts, a 183 ERA plus. And you are going to start off with a war of 2.5. I'll take that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, let's see. On this card, I cannot see his face. It's a day game, and he's, his face is in the shadow of his uh, his bill of his hat. I cannot tell. I can see white, but I can't see if those are real stirrups or not. So I, I, I can't give that to you. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll try and I mean if I lose by just that amount, you know we may have we'll to protest. revisit. Yeah, we'll revisit. Uh, let's see. He was traded by the Cardinals in '99 with Manny Ibar, Brent Butler, not Brett, Brent Butler, and Rich Crochure. There's a name I haven't heard for a while. To the Rockies <laughs> for Luther Hackman, who sounds like a villain in a uh, Superman. Well, yeah, because Lex Luthor and then Gene Hackman played Lex Luthor, right? He did. That is a great name, Luther Hackman. Uh, also Definitely. should uh, could, could also be Jeffrey Leonard's uh, last name uh, and Daryl, Kyle and Dave Varis. So, wow, that's where the Cardinals uh, got Kyle and Varis, who obviously Kyle unfortunately passed away. But both of those pitched very well for the Cardinals for a good bit of time. Daryl Kyle also with the Astros. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I do want to mention that uh, Jimenez, his son, is known for uh, original compositions on YouTube where he remixes video games. I don't understand how you... <laughs> wow. I don't know. I watch plenty of YouTube, and I actually watch plenty of uh, video game play on Twitch and YouTube, and I don't know how you would remix a video game, but uh, he goes by Alpha Remaster, if you want to check him out. Currently 4.5 thousand subs. And he's, oh, wow, last, uh, last posted a video two weeks ago, so he's still there. Nice. All right. Next, you have got a draft picks card. So oh. this has got two players. Uh, as we do, you're going to get to pick one of these two players uh, that you want to choose. So we've got, for the Phillies, we've got pitcher Brett Myers and the Mariners. We have uh, former athletics coach, now Padres coach, Ryan Christensen. Which uh. one do you want to go with? Let, let's go with, uh, who did you say the first one is? Myers? Brett Myers. Yeah, let's go with that guy. Yeah, I think I would too. Let's see. Brett Myers ended up pitching for 12 years in the big leagues. 
eight with Philly, eight with the Phillies, three with Houston, one with Cleveland, one with the White Sox. Uh, unfortunately, though, he did not make his debut until the year 2002. Oh, bummer. Uh, and nothing on this bust is going to get you uh, get you any uh, any uh, any points. Uh, we have pulled him before, and we do know that there is a country musician named Brett Myers. Not the same. Right. Used a derogatory term uh, to a beat writer after he gave up two home runs against the Padres and threatened to knock him out. Okay. So uh, he's got some anger issues. Apparently. All right. uh, Let's see. So nothing for you on that one. Go uh, move on here to somebody that I can tell you is probably going to get a minus half a point for a Mitchell report mention, but we really like this guy. Here he is with the Astros, Ken Caminiti. Yeah, one of my guys. Cammy, 15 years in the big leagues, 10 with Houston, four with the Padres, and then one apiece for Texas and Atlanta. In 2000, uh, he was with the Astros, only appeared in 59 games, still hit 303 with a 419 on base. Wow. Nice. That's very nice. 15 home runs, 45 RBI, three stolen bases, no caught stealing, a 143 OPS plus, and that is good for a war of 1.5. Again, positive for me. Yes, That makes me happy. Let's see. He's got facial hair here. He had that goatee that he always had. Can't see any socks. He's got the long pants here. Of course, Cami MVP in 1996 when he hit 326, 408, on base, 40 home runs, 130 RBIs, 11 stolen bases. Very nice. Three-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winner. Oh, wow. He went to San Jose State University. I did not know that. My uh, my parents' alma mater. Oh, nice. And possible Pac-10 uh, you know, Pac school coming up. Let's see. He was uh, traded by the Astros with a player to be named later, Andujar Cedeno, Steve Finley, and Brian Williams to the Padres for Doug Bell, Doug Brocale, Ricky Gutierrez, the other Pedro Martinez, Phil Plantier, and Craig Shipley. A lot of names there that we know about. Uh, Let's see, of course, Caminiti has unfortunately passed away. He had a lot of uh, struggles with with substance abuse and uh, obviously was uh, kind of a big guy with the uh, PEDs, which I am going to have to nick you on this one. Yeah, I'm afraid I I, I have to agree. There you go, Ken Caminiti. Uh, So you are at 3.6, your next card. Wow, these are all special insert cards. Uh, This is a good one for you, Hall of Famer. It's a National League uh, all-tops NL team. It's Barry Larkin. Oh, nice. Another one of my favorites. Let's see. uh, Barry Larkin, uh, one of the driving forces behind the cult classic song Red's Hot. Uh, let's see. Hall of Famer, 19 years in the big leagues, all of it with Cincinnati in the year 2000. His final all-star year. That's good news for you at the age of 36. 102 games, 313 average, 389 on base, 11 home runs, 41 RBI, 14 stolen bases, and a 118 OPS plus. And that is good for a 2.6 war. Okay. So you've got that. you got the whole point for being the Hall of Fame. Uh, that will double that. He's an all-star, so you're going to get a half a point extra for that as well. I swear this is not him. Well, that's his number, but it looks like he's got a full beard in this picture. Uh, he's kind of turned to the side, so it's hard to see. But he's got facial hair and he's got eye black. So that will be a plus two-tenths of a point for you there as well to bring you up to 7.9. Of course, uh, went into the Hall of Fame in 2012. He's doing TV for the Reds. We've had Barry quite a few times. He does good stuff off the field. He so, does. Uh, that's good for him. No, definitely no uh, no marks against him off the field. Uh, let's see. His son Shane 
played uh, for Miami of, uh, yeah, University of Miami playing basketball. He was drafted by the Mavericks, made his debut in 2013. Uh, it sounds like he's not playing anymore, but uh, there you go. Named a uh, daughter, Brielle Deshay, in honor of Shea Stadium, where he enjoyed oh, wow. playing. Barry Larkin, you're at 7.9. Your next card is uh, pitcher for the Blue Jays. This guy was pretty good. Pat Henkin. Oh, yeah. Boy, I haven't thought about that guy in a while. Let's see. Henkin played for 14 years in the big leagues. Overall, he mainly a reliever. He did start. Well, now I take that back. He was mainly a starter. I'm sorry. He appeared in 344 career games, 306 as a starter. So I'm going to go ahead and call him a starter. Uh, 14 years in the big leagues, 10 with Toronto, three with Baltimore, one with St. Louis. In the year 2000, that was his one year with St. Louis. He went 15 and 12, the 4.72 ERA. 33 games, 194 innings, 202 hits, 118 strikeouts, and a 99 ERA+. plus. He won the Cy Young for Toronto in 1996. I did not remember that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Wow. He won 20 games. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Also, yeah. uh, 10 complete games and three shutouts that year to lead the league in both. Very nice. Let's see. War-wise, in the year 2000, a 1.7. Pat Henkin okay. here has got uh, some uh, facial hair as well, but that's all I'm going to see on this card that's going to help you out. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, not bad. Won a World Series with the Blue Jays in 1993. A member of the uh, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, class of 2016. That's cool. Hall of Famer. All right, uh, you've got uh, three cards left. You're at 9.7. Your next card, oh, it's another draft picks. Let's see here. I have not heard of either of these guys, so we'll see how you do. Uh, you get to choose between Royals uh, draft pick Jay Gurky and Padres draft pick Omar Ortiz. Oh, boy. Uh, let's go with Omar Ortiz. All right. I have not heard of either of these. Yeah, I don't think it bodes well. Omar did not make the big leagues. Uh, he doesn't look like he even played in the minor leagues. Uh, well, <laughs> he played collegiately and then was drafted and then went and played in the Pecos League, which is a Northern California independent league here. Uh, he played for the uh, Bakersfield Train Robbers. Hmm. He hit 327, but then he was out of baseball, it looks like. Your second to last card, uh, this guy I just used uh, the other uh, the other day in uh, Immaculate Grid. It is with the Pirates. It is Brian Giles. Brian Giles, every year of his life was mentioned in a trade rumor for the Mariners and never made it there. <laughs> I like I this guy. I know, I know he has uh, some off-the-field issues that we're not going to go into. Seems like he's got some issues off the field, but overall, 15 years in the big leagues, seven with the Padres, five with the Bucks, and three, or I'm sorry, four with Cleveland. Good news for you, he was an all-star in 2000, 156 games, uh, hit 315, 432 on base, yowza. Wow. 35 home runs, 123 RBIs, tell me he was not on the juice right here. Yeah. Uh, six stolen bases, zero caught, stealing a 157 OPS plus, and that is good for a 6.4. Wow. Yeah. Plus you're going to get the uh, all-star bonus there. Does not look like he's got any facial hair. I can't. I'm going to say those are real stirrups. I'm going to give you real stirrups on that. It's kind of hard to tell. He's got a he's got a shin guard on over it. But uh, hmm. I I liked this guy. Uh, you know, back before social media, and we didn't know all the awful things these guys do off the field. Right. But, uh, traded by the Pirates to the Padres for Jason Bay and Oliver Perez. Hmm. But how many Oliver Perez didn't he pitch? Yeah, he pitched for 20 years. He's pitched for almost everybody. He's a good immaculate grid guy. Definitely. Uh, remember uh, Giles' brother, 
Uh, Marcus also played for quite a while in the big leagues. I know he was with Atlanta while I was there. Wow. In 2008, 58% of his strikeouts were called. (laughs) (laughs) That's somebody that thinks they have a great eye, but doesn't. Wow. That's not good. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, we've had him before and uh, he's got quite a list of stuff we don't need to talk about. So uh, you're at 16.7. Your final card. Oh, this is one of my guys. And you're going to get, this is a good card. I'm going to put this card aside too. Uh, Here he is with Atlanta, two-way player, Brian Jordan. Nice. Let's see. I think he was playing for the the Falcons in the NFL the same time he was playing for the, uh, well, I don't remember if he was was playing for Atlanta or not, or if it was when he was in St. Louis. But overall in Major League Baseball, 15 years, seven with St. Louis, five with Atlanta, Two with the Dodgers, one with the Rangers. In 2000, uh, let's see, he hit 264, a 320 on base, 17 home runs, 77 RBI, 10 stolen bases, and 86 OPS plus, and that is good for a 2.0 war. Looking at this card, you're going to get some bonuses. Uh, He has facial hair here, so that's going to be a tenth of a point of bonus. But this is a great card because the front of his uniform is dirty. He has no helmet on. He's jumping up. He's clearly just slid headfirst into home, and he is about to give high fives to Hall of Famer Chipper Jones, (laughs) which that that. will get you a Hall of Fame point right there. But this is a great looking card. I'm going to I'm going to set that aside as a keeper. I I think I've told this story before. When I worked for Atlanta, there was one time when he struck out and he did the Bo Jackson and he snapped the bat over his knee (laughs) and he threw both pieces over his shoulder. The bat boy went and got the the barrel of the bat, but couldn't find the handle. And the next day when I came in, I was, you know, working those rotational ads behind home plate. I was working on those. And what's at the bottom of one of them? There's his bat handle. No kidding. Yeah, so I think I might have, for some reason, thrown it away. <laughs> but I had it forever, and I'm like, what? This is cool, but what am I ever going to do with it? Now I really <laughs> wish I knew where it was. I hope I didn't throw it away. But It's an artifact. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He was drafted uh, in the first round, 30th overall by the Cardinals in 1988. And uh, he was traded from Atlanta to the Dodgers, along with Odalis Perez for Gary Sheffield. Oh. Let's see, he was a safety from 89 to 91. Huh. This dude was, I mean, he was just big. He was a, he was a big dude. Yeah. Authored a semi-autograph, autobiographical children's book called Told You I Could Play. <laughs> nice. All right, so you've got a 19.8. All right. All that, right. That's, that's over. That's not bad. A, yeah, that's over a two point average per card. So yes, I can deal with that. Not too shabby. All right. Let's go ahead and open up my pack here. I am going to not going to start out as strong as you, but I definitely remember this guy uh, with the Detroit Tigers here. Debbie Cruz. Oh, sure. Let's see. Debbie played for nine years in the big leagues, five with the Tigers, two with the Giants, and then one apiece for San Diego, Washington and Baltimore. In 2000 for Detroit, 156 games. Wow, he hit 302, 318 on base, 10 home runs, 82 RBI, and a 97 OPS plus. And, well, I'll take it. That is a 2.6. Wow. To start out with from Debbie Cruz. Can't see his socks. Well, I can't see his sanitaries. Let me put it that way. He wasn't a bad shortstop, if I remember correctly. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, Averaged uh, anywhere between 11 and 15, 16 errors, but he played all the time. So, yeah. yeah. Let's see. He is his nephew is Yesen Rosari, a professional baseball shortstop. But uh, that is all of the information I have. 
Hmm. But I'll take the 2.6. That's not a bad way to start out. Well, I got a Hall of Famer. Oh, that's uh, that's going to help me out here. Unfortunately, no longer with us. But uh, here he is, Doc Holliday, Roy Halliday. I guess that would be yeah. Doc Halliday, not Doc Holliday. <laughs> That's right. Hall of Famer, two-time Cy Young Award winner, eight-time All-Star. None of those happened in 2000, unfortunately. Only his third year in the big leagues at the age of 23. He went four and seven ooh, with a 10.64 ERA. That's good. 67 innings pitched, 107 hits, 44. Wow, 44 strikeouts. He walked 42. Jeez, Louise. Uh, that is good for a 48 <laughs> ERA plus home and a minus 2.8 war. Ouch. Jeez. I'm wondering if any Hall of Famer has ever had a war lower than that for a season. That'd be interesting to look up. Let's see. All right. But he is a Hall of Famer, so that will only be a minus 1.8. Let's see here. But nothing else on the card is going to help me out. But still, you get a Roy Halladay card and you think, all right, well, this is going to work in my in my favor, but definitely did not. Wow. First round pick, uh, 17th overall by the Blue Jays in 1995, traded by the Jays to the Phillies for Travis Darno, Kyle Drabeck and Michael Taylor. Darno still in the league. Yeah. Pretty impressive that he's uh, traded for somebody that's still around. In 2010, pitched the 20th perfect game in uh, Major League history uh, against the Marlins. uh, Struck out 11. First time in modern era that two pitchers had thrown perfect games in the same month. uh, The other of which being Dallas Braden that same year on uh, Mother's Day. And then threw a no-hitter in the postseason on October 6th, 2010. I mean, what a year. Yeah, uh, second player to pitch a no hitter in the postseason. Of course, Don Larson being the first who threw a perfect game in the 56 World Series. Seventh pitcher to hurl both a perfect game and regular no hitter in his career. He did it in the same season, but in a career, get these names. Cy Young, Addy Joss, Jim Bunning, Sandy Koufax, Randy Johnson, and Mark Burley. That's good company. Yeah. I'd say Mark Burley might be the one that doesn't fit as much there, but uh, Wow. That's uh, that's still very impressive. Holiday, just a good guy. He did a lot of work with underprivileged children. Tragic uh, death in a plane wreck that plane he was piloting, I believe. Yeah, I back think he. Twenty seventeen. I think the uh, toxicology came back that he was under the effects of something, wasn't he? I think. Uh, yeah, he had something. I think Ambien. Well, a muscle relaxant. That's not good to take, and a uh, sleep aid. So. Ambien. Boy, if you've ever taken Ambien, you know that stuff could put you into a trance. And certainly it's not something you should be taking if you're going to be flying a plane. No, definitely not. All right. So that bumps me down to point eight. So that didn't help. Uh, Here we've got a Mariner. It is Brian Hunter. Hunter. Remember when there were two Brian Hunters in the league at the same time? I do remember that. I remember one was Brian L. Hunter. That's right. Uh, Let's see. This one is that one. Brian L. Hunter in the year. Well, first, let me tell you, played 10 years in the big leagues, five with Houston, three with Detroit, one with Cincinnati, Colorado, Philadelphia and Seattle. In the year 2000, he split time between Colorado and Cincinnati. He appeared in 104 games, hit 267 to 342 on base, one home run, 14 RBI, 20 stolen bases, a 54 OPS plus. And that is good for a war of exactly 0.4. So he had a better year than than Roy Holiday. I'll take it. Huh. On this card, it looks like he's got eye black. I know he's got a mustache, but I can't see it. 
So I'm only going to get the tenth of a point from the eye black. Let's see some of the names that he was traded with and for. Uh, Doug Brocale, Todd Jones, Orlando Miller, Brad Osmus, Jose Lima, CJ Nikowski. I guess those are really the, the big names. He came to the Mariners, traded for Andy Van Hecken and Jerry Amador. I remember those names. I remember those names, but couldn't tell you a single thing about it, about (laughs) either of them. He was a a coach for the Rainiers at one point. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that would have been cool to uh, go get some autographs there. Let's see, Chris Berman gave him a nickname. I have never heard of Brian Deer Hunter. Okay. Yeah, that's not a good one. I don't remember that one. I can can see why. I kind of forget about (laughs) that. All right, so I'm at 1.3. Next, I have got a catcher. If that isn't exciting enough, here for the Royals, Chad Cruder. Chad Crouton, yes. Didn't he play for the Mariners at one point? Uh, yeah, he did. Let's see. Uh, 16 years in the big leagues, five with Texas, three with the Dodgers and Tigers and White Sox, two with the Angels, one with the Royals, one with Seattle. In 2000 for the Dodgers, uh, is pretty much a perennial backup. 80 games played, 264 average. Wow. 264 average, a 416 on base percentage. That is incredible. Wow. Six home runs, 28 RBI, and a 116 OPS plus because of that on base percentage. And that is good for a war of 2.1. Wow. wow. If you would have told me Devi Cruz and Chad Cruder were my all stars so far, <laughs> one, I would have said you've got a really bad pack. It's uh, pretty impressive. Uh, 2.1 from Chad Cruder. Cruder was, do you remember the the Dodgers bullpen, like, going into the stands? Yes, I do. Yeah, and at Cruder Wrigley Field, right? Guy, yeah, he, somebody stole his hat yep. mm-hmm. from behind, at, at, yeah, and in Chicago. There was a, that was a big mess. God, yeah, I remember that. That was big news. Like, that was on yeah. the nightly news when that happened. Yeah. Fan here allegedly uh, said that Cruder choked him. Well, don't hmm. grab, I mean, <laughs> why'd you grab his hat? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did not know this. He was the head coach at USC after longtime coach Mike Gillespie, hmm. who was also his father-in-law retired. Hmm. Wow. wonder how he got that job. Let's see. Apparently also uh, managed down in the Mexican league. He was fired last year along with Mickey Calloway and Nick Leva. Hmm. Uh, I'm at 3.4. My next card is, oh Yes. It is a 20th century's best. Uh-oh. And uh, when I think of this guy, I think of two things. One, one of the century's best. And two, Mark doesn't remember this guy's nickname. <laughs> is that right? Now, how do you, with a straight face, put 20th century's best on a card along with Lance Johnson? I'm not sure I get that either. Lance known as the one dog. There you go. Now, <laughs> we love Lance Johnson here. I legitimately always enjoyed Lance Johnson. And yes, he hit a lot of triples. He led the league six out of seven years in triples and ended up with 117 for his career, which is not the, the mark in Major League Baseball, but it's a lot of triples. But to put the uh, century's best mark on him, that's uh, that's quite a stretch. A century's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> let's see uh, 14 years in the big leagues eight with the white Sox, three with the cubbies two with the mets one with the yankee and cardinal i made those singular because he only played one year with both of them in 2000 with the yankees his final year in the big leagues only appeared in 18 games for the yankee he hit 300 300 on base so uh, he uh, did not walk a single time (laughs) two rbi two stolen bases that's about it 
62 OPS plus and a 0.0 war. He was an all-star one time in his career in 1996. Never led the league in steals, but he always had quite a bit, 327 over his career. We do know that he has a record label called One Dog Records, too. Yes. We do know that. I remember that. Yeah. See, he was traded with Turk Wendell to the Mets. That's how he got there. Hmm. Of course, one dog is uh, because he always wore the number one. I guess when you're the century's best, you can wear number one yeah, and get away with it. Absolutely. All right. Um, so that will not help me out at all. Uh, absolutely nothing from the one dog. Not even one from the one dog. Not even a one. <laughs> all right. Next, uh, do I get an extra point if uh, I get the card of the guy that is managing my favorite team currently? I believe that's in the uh, supplemental rules, but uh, those don't come into play. Oh, they're only for the postseason. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, here he is with the fish. It's Mark Kotze. Oh, nice. Let's see. Uh, Kot, 17 years in the big leagues as a player. Five with the Padres, four with the fish in Oakland, two with the White Sox and Red Sox, one with Atlanta and Milwaukee. In the year 2000, he was a 24-year-old, but he played in 152 games for Florida. Hit 298, a 347 on base. Pretty good. 12 home runs, 57 RBI, 19 stolen bases, and a 104 OPS plus, which is good for a war of 2.4. When I hit, I'm getting a 2 plus, but uh, when I miss, I, I really am missing. <laughs> yes. Let's see. Cots uh, does have some eye black here. I can't see his stirrup, so that'll get me at least an extra tenth of a point. But when I think of Mark Kotze, I mean, I think of the A's because I'm an A's fan, but I think of him really as with the Padres is what I think of him. For some reason, I remember him most as uh, first round draft pick by the Marlins, ninth overall in 1996. Uh, let's see. The Padres traded him to Oakland for Ramon Hernandez and T. Long. Hmm. Oh, he was one of the first uh, players in 2006 to brandish a pink bat. On oh, that's cool. A member of the National College Baseball Hall of Fame, by the way. Was he a dirtbag? Is that where he went to school? I don't remember. A dirtbag? Yeah, isn't that like Fullerton or something like that? <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, he went he went to Cal State Fullerton. Cal State. Look at that. I even got it right. I don't think, I think they're the Titans, though. I don't think they're the They Titans. are the Titans, yes. Yeah, I don't know. But they, they might, I think whoever is the dirtbags, they call themselves the dirtbags, but that's not the name of their, that's not the mascot name. Right. Kind of like Vandy, their baseball team, they go by the Vandy Boys, not the Commodores or whatever. Yeah, boy, he's, I mean, he stayed out of trouble. I'll give him that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that didn't, uh, didn't help me out. Or no, I'm sorry. That did help me out quite a bit there. Uh, next, we have got a, okay, now do I get extra points if I went to the same school as this guy? Um, no, no. Let me, uh, in fact, I know that we used to be a rule and it was denied. All right. Well, here yeah. I've got with the Mets, I have got Ole. It's John Olerud. Oh, one of my all-time favorites. I've, you know, I've got a lot of personal connection to a lot of guys in my pack. Yeah. It's not reflecting on the scoreboard, but uh, John Olerud also, just like Cy Young, never won a Cy Young. And John Olerud never won the John Olerud Award. Hmm. Uh, 17 years in the big leagues, eight with Toronto, five with the Mariners, three with the Mets, and then one with the Yankee and one with the Red Sox. I don't remember the Red Sox. That was his final year in 2005. Let's see. Two-time All-Star, won two World Series, of course, with the Blue Jays, three gold gloves, and a batting title in uh, 1993. In the year 2000, his first year with the Mariners, 159 games, hit 285, 392 on base, 14 home runs, 103 RBI. These are just John Olerud things. It's like pretty much every year. Uh, 117 OPS plus, and that is good for a 3.7 war. It's not bad. Take it. 
Uh, let's see. He's got eye black on here, but he's also got two and one. So that is a wash. Fullerwood, cousin of Dale Swain. I feel like we've said that before, but it shocks me every time. <laughs> That's the way I was kind of approaching it. <laughs> of course, uh, brain aneurysm. We've talked about that many times. Uh, I see a Bobo Braden reference here. Of course, the Ricky Henderson story uh, is bunk. Uh, that has been debunked by both Olerud, uh Bobby Valentine, and Ricky Henderson. But it's a story that will not die. Yep. And uh, yeah, he was just a, he was a good player, great hitter. All right, so I'm at 9.6. I'm down to my final card. You ended up with a 19.7. So, well, you know, this guy, not a Hall of Famer, but he could get me. Uh, he could make it close. Let me put it that way. Here with the Arizona Diamondbacks, it's Luis Gonzalez. Oh, man. He's another one of my favorites. Oh, wait, you know what? Time out here. Remember when you had the draft pick between Jay Gerke and Omar Ortiz? Yes. You picked Omar Ortiz, who was a Padres draft pick. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm going to have to call you on that one. I'm going to have to okay. knock you down a point on that. I mean, that is, right? I mean, or a half a point. It's only half a point. Uh, no, I, I agree, though. Yeah, 19.3. <laughs> Oh, no. And, you know, I told you what team he played for when I gave you the option. That's pretty funny. I obviously was not thinking. I try not to think it's painful. Yeah, it's not a good look. Uh, let's see. Gonzo, overall, 19 years in the big leagues, eight with Arizona, seven with Houston, two with the Cubs, and then one apiece with the Dodgers, the Fish, and the Tigers. Oh, wow. He was an all-star almost every year except for 2000. Let's see, 162 games played every day. He hit 311, 392 on base, 31 home runs, 114 RBI, and a 130 OPS plus. And all of that is going to get me a 4.2. So pretty much exactly double what the other, yeah, my other big earners got me. Uh, one All Star in 2000, or one All Star, won a World Series in 2001 with uh, the the. Do people still call them the Snakes? I think they do. I think so. Where they uh, they walked off the Yankees. That was very sad. Uh, it was he, awesome. He was traded uh, by Houston with Scott Service for Rick Wilkins. Hmm. Let's see. He played his Legion ball for post 248. Now, that might not mean much to pretty much anybody, but other former big leaguers who played for post 248, Lou Pinella, Tony La Russa, Tino Martinez, and Gary Sheffield. Well, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good roster right there. Hit the first home run in the history of Tropicana Field on opening oh, day wow. in 1998. That's kind of cool. Was the celebrity face for a cornfield maze in Queen Creek, Arizona. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he was the uh, first local celebrity featured. Since then, they have also featured Oprah, 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 <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, Larry King, and Jay Leno. Huh. So and talk, Luis Gonzalez. And Luis Gonzalez, yeah. <laughs> Uh, also a member of the Hispanic Heritage Baseball Museum. So. That's cool. All right. So he didn't help me out at all. And in fact, uh, I'm going to take the L on that one. Uh, so looking at the scoreboard it is now 11 to 9. You're, uh, you're creeping back up. But, uh, well, those are some fun packs. We've got some names we hadn't talked about for a while on those. Yeah, that was good. All right. So that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to do it for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you want more of us, you can find us all over the internet. We're at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. And if you remember that, you've got the uh, the bulk of our email address that Mark likes to tell us about. 
Wait, we have an email address? Oh, yeah. Two Strike Noise. You spell it out. T-W-O Strike Noise at gmail.com. Make sure to hit us up because uh, Mark is uh, bored. I'm bored. But, uh, anyway, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. Uh, spread the word if you enjoyed the show. That always helps. We enjoy that. Uh, has some new listeners. Always appreciate hearing from you as well. And uh, yeah, we'll be back to do this again next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day.